Okay, uh, back to Romans chapter 10, and uh, tonight we start a new sub, well, uh, not a section, but a subsection um, in, in, the, uh, in this chapter in Romans 10, and uh, it's noted by a different paragraph in the English translation, so this is a new little subsection for us. Let me read you verses 5 and 6. We won't cover that much tonight. We'll, um, Lord willing, cover verse 5 and uh, see how, that, how, we get, how far we go. Um, the text says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. We'll get to that later, and um, as unclear as that might appear at First, it really isn't, guys. It, um, uh, I guess one of the reasons that we go so slowly is because I want to continue to remind you the, the, the framework in which we find ourselves in this section of Romans. First of all, notice this. Notice that verse 3 begins with the word for. Verse 4 begins with the word for. Verse 5 begins with the word for. Now, what do you think is going on here? Um, what is Paul doing, gang? What Paul is doing is is, is arguing. He's he's debating. He's he's um, he's presenting a case. He is reasoning um, because preeminently Christianity is rational. It's logical. It's sequential. I, I said this uh, from the pulpit not too long ago, and on, on a Sunday morning. Uh, Christianity will never be able to compete with man-made religion because man-made religion doesn't, doesn't insist upon the facts. Christianity does. And the Apostle Paul is this great logician and is, is reasoning with his reading audience. Uh, it's because, because, because. Paul is in the midst of presenting a case and arguing his points. You know, guys, um, that's very unpopular these days because it suggests that there is a right point and a wrong point. I mean, if you debate these things, if you enter into dialogue, somebody's going to be wrong. You know, we live in such a, uh, a, a mindless, a day of such mindless pluralism that uh, to, to, um, to argue and debate over one being right and one the other being wrong is is considered wicked to to even suggest that one position one religion would be wrong and and one would be right but ladies and gentlemen that's exactly what the apostle paul is doing here he's arguing his case he's presenting his points and that's what you see with these verses that begin he's in the midst of this argument and this presentation of of um, what he considers to be <clears throat> orthodoxy or truth. Um, now, this is a new phase of his argument, beginning in verse 5. But it is directly connected with the rest, with what's going on in front of it. You, and because he's, he's tying things together. He's tying his argument together. Now, let, 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 me, let me just pause and remind you what section we're in. This is, of course, Romans 9, 10, and 11. All three chapters, in all three of these chapters, the common theme is 
Paul is is um, <coughs> leading a discussion over the issue of the Jews. And he is leading this discussion, or he's having this discussion in 9, 10, 11 about the Jews because in chapter 8, Paul, that whole chapter is devoted to the security of the believer. And, and again, in chapter 8, he does the same thing. It's one argument right after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other. And he closes that great argument in chapter 8 by saying, there's nothing that will separate God's people, uh, nothing that will separate them from God. Now, in his audience, there, there were some um, that reasoned, wait a minute. The condition of Judaism today argues against this point you're making, Paul, about security. Because they were God's people and they're not God's people now. Now, um, th- that's why Paul takes these three chapters. to um, he's, he's assured us that the believer is secure, but then there is this suggestion that perhaps uh, Judaism proves that they're not secure, or that the, the condition of Judaism... But the fundamental flaw in that argument, guys, is that that argument assumed that God intended to save everyone. Everyone, that is, that belongs to the nation of Israel. And so Paul writes chapter 9 <laughs> to demonstrate that that was not his intent. Uh, look at uh, chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. No, no, it hasn't failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Do you remember that argument? There's an Israel within Israel. He's using the term differently. There, there is within ethnic, geopolitical, national Israel an Israel. A, a people of God, uh, the real Israel within national Israel. Look at verse, uh, this is where he talks about, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. The assumption of the argument against Paul was, well, Judaism proves that people aren't secure. And Paul says, well, you're, the flaw in your argument is that you, you assume that God intended to save everyone in Israel. He never intended that. It was never his intent. There's an Israel within Israel. He says it again in verse 27 of chapter 9. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Your argument is fallacious because you assumed that God was going to save everyone who was a part of national Israel. It's a false assumption. There's only a remnant in Israel, that will ultimately be saved. And why? Why is that so? Why is only a remnant? And he tells you that in verse 32 of chapter 9. Why? Why is only a remnant going to be saved? Because they did not pursue it by faith as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Now, I say all that to say this, guys. Chapter 10 is an explication of verse 32 of chapter 9. He's explaining, he's contrasting. Look what he does in in 932. 
They didn't pursue, they did not pursue it by faith as it were based on works. And in chapter 10, he's contrasting faith and works, guys. And that's exactly what is happening in verses 5 and 6 here. Look, look at 5 and 6. In this little section here, Paul is comparing the law or, or works and the gospel or faith as a way of salvation. Look, look at it. Verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on law. You see that? Then in verse 6 he comes and says, But the righteousness based on faith. He is comparing two ways of righteousness, or two ways of salvation. One that's based on law, one that's based on faith. That's what these two verses are. He's simply comparing a, a route... A method, a plan, a strategy, um, uh, a, a path to salvation through works um, no, that is based on law, that's verse 5, as compared to a righteousness that is based on faith in verse 6. That's what he's doing here. So essentially, he is contrasting the two answers to this question. Here's the question. How can a man be right with God? There are two answers to that question. And only two. There is the righteousness that is based on law. And the righteousness that is based on faith. Um, now gang, that question of how can a man be right with God is at the heart. It's at the heart of everything. It's at the heart of the whole Reformation. You know what the Protestant Reformation is, is I hope. That's the historic event led by Martin Luther when, when he pulled out, of, well he didn't intend to pull out, but he ultimately did, pulled out of the Roman Catholic Church and says, the Roman Catholic Church is saying that a man's righteousness is based on law, it's based on works. And what did he say? No, no, no. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 That's what Paul is doing here. He's simply contrasting those, those two answers to this question. How can a man be right with God? Well, one answer is... The law works. The other answer is, by grace through faith. And that's what he's, he's contrasting in verses 5 and 6. Now guys, I wonder if you're sitting out there saying, oh, he's already done this. He's done it several times. Why is he so repetitive? I mean, he did it. I mean, there it is in Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. And then there it is in chapter 3. Therefore we conclude that a man is saved by, by faith and apart from the works of the law. There it is again. And now it's back up again. Why? I mean, he's repetitious. And you're boring the dickens out of us, Dr. Young. Because he's so repetitious. Why does he do this? Why are you doing this to me? You know why? 
Because, ladies and gentlemen, nothing is so crucial as an understanding of that simple question. How is a man right? How can a man be right before God? And not only is nothing so crucial, but nothing is so misunderstood. Nothing is, there is, there is more widespread misunderstanding about the answer to that question than anything else. And, and, and not only that, not only is it, is it crucial, not only is it so misunderstood, it is so counterintuitive. You know what I mean by that? You know what that word is, don't you? You know what counterintuitive means? It's against intuition. Men left to themselves, when asked, well, how can you, how can you be right before God? They'll say every time, a million times out of a million, they will, left to themselves, they will say, well, I mean, you know, you just, uh, you know, you just do good things. I mean, you just uh, work hard and keep your nose clean and help little old ladies cross the street and give money to the United Way. And everything's going to be fine. Men left to themselves will always say that. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the religion of, I mean, I don't know percentages, but the, the mass majority of people on the planet, whether they call themselves Hindus or Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, it is a righteousness based on law. That's why he repeats it. Again and again and again. Because people just don't get it. They, they, don't, they don't grasp this fundamental distinction in Christianity, guys. You know, um, I don't know who said this first. I don't, I, it certainly wasn't me. But they said there's two ways that you can think of this. this no. The, uh, it's very simple uh, in terms of these two answers to the question by law or by faith. There's just two ways. One of them says... Do. The other one says, done. Men left to themselves when asked, how can a man be right with God? One million times out of one million times will say, do. Only Christianity says, done. It's done. It's done on your behalf. It's done in your stead. It's done in your place. It's done by your substitute. So why all the repetition, Paul? Why do you keep, you know, boring us with this, this doctrine of justification by faith? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is at the heart of everything. It is at the heart of everything. You know, um, I have this, this kind of event, I have this kind of occasion at least once a month. Um, you know, I try, to, I try to confine my counseling schedule to Thursday afternoons and and so I'll have somebody come in on a Thursday afternoon, and and life will be terrible. I mean, things are bad. Uh, you know, my marriage is bad, my job is bad, my health is bad, life is bad, money is bad, everything's bad. It's just bad. And so I listen, and I say, well, you know, let's talk about these, and and you know, we try to address these issues, and, and you know, the alcoholism and the internet porn, and we try to address all. And then before this, the the time is over, I always say. But have you heard that heaven is a free gift? That you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. That you must simply receive it. 
that religion says do, but Christianity says done. Can I tell you about the finished work of Christ? And I go through all this, all this. And and the, the little person will look at me and they will say, you know, gas is really getting high. You didn't hear a word I said. And no, they didn't. They, didn't un- they did not grasp one thing about it. Because left to themselves, they will always come up with this. Always. It is only a work of sovereign grace that God opened your eyes to see that it's this and not that. But ladies and gentlemen, there are only two options. You can call it Hinduism, you can call it Buddhism, you can call it whatever you want to call it. It's always this. It's always due. It's always law. It's always works. It's always, it's always this. And so, are you bored with Paul's repetition? I don't happen to be. You know, um, I'll tell you this. I want to bet that some of you, in, within the sound of my very loud voice, this very moment, still have not quite yet gotten it. Let me, let me give you two examples. Is there still, after all this repetition, and we've made it up to Romans 10, and we're you know, just breezing through here, uh, after all this, is there still any smidgen, any part of you that is relying on anything that you've ever done Say like baptism. Why do you keep asking me about Acts chapter 2 verse 38? Why do you keep asking me that? Um, Peter's preaching and he says, uh, believe and be baptized. And, yet, and, and you think, well, you know, okay, yeah, you've got to believe, but you, you, know, you really need to get baptized. Is there still anything in you, any small part, where you base your acceptance with God on anything that you've ever done, be it ever so slight? Then you still haven't gotten it. You still haven't gotten it. Because it's still got some do in it. There's still something that you've got to do. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that if you add anything that you are eviscerating the doctrine of justification by faith alone? Why does this trouble us? Because we hadn't gotten it. I'll give you another example. Do you, um, after you commit some terrible sin, some horrible thing, do you start wondering, am I really a Christian? You don't get it. I'll tell you a story. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I should tell this one, but my wife is not here. She's sick, and um, so, you know, just don't give her the tape. Um, years ago, when, when I was in Ocala, I was, I was at a seminary about eight years and um, uh, <laughs> first time I met this guy, his name was Bob. 
um, first time I met this guy, he was smoking marijuana out in the garage. I was at a, I was at a supper party at this house, and uh, he was out in the garage smoking marijuana. And um, he, was, he was a rough, he was, he was a veterinarian car. Um, um, but uh, uh, anyway, he was, a, he was just a big, hulky guy. And he's out smoking marijuana. And the, and, and, and the host took me out to meet him. They're smoking, you know, joints out there. Oh, I'm a preacher. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, anyway, in, in the kindness of God. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. Should, let, me, let me back up. Let me just, apparently, this guy became, becomes a Christian. And we celebrated it, folks. I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a, just a, a big deal that Bob had become a Christian. One year later, he's still chasing after Jesus. Two years later, he is still chasing after Jesus. Three years later, he is still chasing it. And by the way, I mean, I really don't know whether Bob's in the family or not. And I just assume that he is for a second, all right? Four years after, I mean, Bob is still chasing after Jesus. So much so that the church of which I was the pastor elected him as an elder. And that was four years after he'd been a Christian, and, and there was a lot of things that we could say about that, and I could tell you more about Bob that would... But, but it, it's not important. But um, one day, Bob calls me, and he says, uh, Jimmy, uh, I want to have lunch with you. I said, great, let's go have lunch. So we go to lunch at Sonny's Pit Barbecue. Let me tell you, Florida does not know how to do barbecue. They slice beef in sheets and they pour barbecue sauce on it and call it the sun. Anyway, it was, we were at Sonny's. Sonny's right there in Ocala, Florida, right on that little thing right over the bridge, right, right, right there. And um, so Bob looks at me and, you know, we're eating and, you know, and... Uh, he says, I've got something really, really serious to talk to you about. And this guy's now an elder in the church. And um, I said, okay, well, you know, what? It, well, it's very serious, Jimmy. I need to talk to you about your sin, my sin. I said, okay. I'm not sure he said it like that, but it was, the subject was Jimmy's sin. Now, how he, how he phrased it, I'm just trying to give you the... But that's what it was. And he said, um, I mean, the, the guy is just... Every fiber of his being is on board while he says to me, You are guilty. I'm thinking... Of... Pride. <laughs> I said, listen, I'm not trying to minimize that. That is true. It's a horrible, ugly sin. <laughs> I'm not trying to say, nah, forget it. Yeah, you know, I, I, it is true. It, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. I still wrestle with it. I still could be charged with it, ladies and gentlemen. I, I promise you, I could. And, and so I said, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I, but I, I mean, this guy is just so serious with me, and he's going, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, yes, that's just awful. He says, I got one more. <laughs> I said, really? And he said, I got one more. He said, you lack faith. <laughs> 
And I said, Yeah, I do. Guilty. I lack faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I still lack faith. I'm still deficient in faith. Okay? I mean, that ain't the half of it. You want to know more? I'll tell you a whole lot more if you... I mean, but that was it. That was, that was what he came to charge me with. He came to charge me with, you, you are guilty of pride and you, you, you have inadequate faith. And he was right. He was right. No question, ladies and gentlemen. He was right. But I have to tell you, I was awfully relieved when I left that restaurant that that's all he had. <laughs> you know? I mean, that there was something, you know, that I, he was charging me with running around the secretary or something, you know, which I hadn't. But uh, who knows what they... I did tell you about the guy... Well, I won't tell you about that. <laughs> but, I, um, but I left that restaurant, guys. And that really got into me. I mean, it, it began to just do terrible things and... Um, and I, and I just began to spiral down. You know, I am proud. He's right. I do lack faith. There's no question about it. I'm, I'm guilty. And I began to... I remember we had a garage sale, and I, I was miserable. Because I was thinking, wait a minute. This thing called Christianity that I am so serious about, I may not be one because I'm proud and I lack faith. And about that time, in that same time frame, within the, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks, something like that, I was scheduled to have supper, Susie and me, we're scheduled to have supper with R.C. Sproul and his wife, Vesta. Just the two of us in his home. He lived right north of Orlando. He invited us down. He, Why don't you come on down and have supper with us? So we drove down. It's like 45 minutes. Drove down. Went to R.C. Sproul's house for supper. So Vesta and Susie, they go in the kitchen and they're cooking or whatever they're doing. And I begin to tell R.C., about what this man has said to me and how absolutely shaken at the core of my being I am, wondering if I'm really a converted man. And here's what R.C. Sproul said to me. Jimmy Young, you do not understand the doctrine of justification by faith. Because if you think that it is anything that you have done or have not done, you do not understand the beauties, the delectable beauties a religion that says it has been done. So, 
I started all this by saying, I bet you there's people within this room who still don't quite get it because every time you blow it, and I, I don't want you to blow it, guys. I don't want you to be guilty of a lack of faith and pride. I'm guilty enough for everybody. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to, I don't want you to get a speeding ticket. I don't want you to get a DWI. I don't want you to, you know, mess up on your mirror. I don't want you to do any of that. I don't. I want you to take sin seriously, and we want to avoid it because the consequences to us is horrible. But it doesn't change a thing about my standing with God because. I am saved not by the law. I am saved not by the works of the law. I am not saved by being a good little boy and a little preacher boy. I'm saved because Jesus Christ paid it all. And I add absolutely nothing to that finished work. Not even my baptism. See? I bet you some of you don't understand it. I mean, guys, I had matriculated at one of the country's finest seminaries. And I've been in the gospel ministry for eight and a half years. And didn't get it. So you're tired of him repeating this? I'm not. Repeat it, Paul, until you're blue in the face. Because one of these days, I'm going to get it. And I'm going to get it in all of its beauty. Okay. Um... Go to the text now. Go, go, to, go to verse 5. So Paul says, uh, all right, let's consider this position, this position over here. Let's consider this one. And he calls it um, the righteousness that is based on the law. Now, guys, if this is clear for you, you can say the righteousness that is based on works. The righteousness that is based on goodies. Okay? Uh, let's consider that. Alright? Let's consider that position. And then what he does, right after that comma, he quotes Leviticus 18.5. Now, keep your finger there and go over to Leviticus 18.5 with me. Leviticus is in the Old Testament for my Methodist friends. <laughs> I'll leave you all alone one of these days, I promise. Um, Leviticus 18.5. Um... Now, this is what Paul is quoting in Romans 10, 5. B. It's right there in front of you. He says, you shall, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, that's what he's quoting. That's what Paul, now, now, look at, keep your finger there and go back to Romans 10, 5. Because it says... Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. And indeed he does. Moses wrote that. Moses wrote uh, Leviticus 18.5. Moses wrote that. 
But he didn't say that. The, the first point that I want you to notice is, he wrote it, but it was God who said it. Moses didn't say this. He just wrote what God said. That's the first thing. And God says this, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. Now there is a position, ladies and gentlemen. There is an answer to the question, how can a man be right with God? Here it is, right here. You shall keep my statutes and my rules, and if a person does them, all of them, perfectly, he shall live by them. Now, you say, well, I don't see that perfectly word, and I don't see that all of them in that, that, that Leviticus 18.5. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just see it, um, how about in Galatians, you don't need to turn to this, but this is in Galatians uh, 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. Or a statement like this from James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Here's an answer, ladies and gentlemen. Here's an answer to the question, how can a man be right with God? Obey every detail of the law perfectly. Let's imagine that I, I do everything that the law requires of me. Everything. And then one night, I have a bad day at the office, and I come home from work, and I kick the dog. It's the only thing I've ever done. I am guilty of the whole law. I am a violator of the whole thing. But that's not really the best explanation, because guys, I must obey the law Perfectly, all of it, as interpreted by Jesus Christ. You remember that Matthew 5 passage where he says, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> but I say unto you, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. The Jews would say, well, I didn't ever sleep around with anybody. <laughs> but Jesus says, well, that's not what we're talking about. It's not simply the letter of the law. It's the spirit of the law that is also binding. Or, you have heard it said that thou shalt not commit murder. But I say unto you, says Jesus, he that is angry, yada, yada, yada. Oh, we men here, we've never lusted after a woman, now have we? No! Have you been angry? We're violators, ladies and gentlemen. You want, you want a route? You want a way? You want a path? You want a method? You want a strategy of, of uh, uh, getting right with God? I got it for you. Do all the commandments and all the rules perfectly as interpreted by Jesus Christ. There it is. You see, guys, the, one of the problems, not one of, the problem with this position is they don't quite understand what's being asked of them. 
What fool, having understood what I just said about all the rules, all the statutes perfectly as interpreted by, what fool would say, well, I'm fine. What nincompoop can read this book and walk away from it and say, well, I'm a Christian because I've lived a good life. I don't know what book you're reading, but your eyes are blinded by the God of this world. Because this book elucidates every dark, shadowy nook and cranny in our souls. Okay, here's an option for you. All you got to do is do everything that he said perfectly as interpreted by Jesus. That's what verse 5. That's, that's the thing that in verse 6 he's going to compare this with that. Ladies and gentlemen, um, part of the problem with Israel is that Israel didn't look at what God said. What she looked at is what men said that God said. You know that Matthew 5 thing I alluded to? You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Who do you think Jesus was referring to? That is, you have heard it said. Who is he talking about? Who said what? Well, that would be the, uh, the rabbis and the... Uh, and the Sanhedrin, and uh, those guys said this. Part of the problem with Israel, ladies and gentlemen, is they don't listen, they don't understand what, oh, they, they've never realized what they've been asked to do, but they do understand the halakha. But ladies and gentlemen, this is no dig against Judaism. It's the only other religious position known to man. Summarized in one simple two letter word. Just go do. What a powerful force Satan must exert to make someone conclude that I'm fine because I've done it all. Oh my. That's good. Our Father, I I do pray that you will um, make very clear for your people the beauties of the gospel that we get to preach. A gospel that is by grace through faith alone. That uh, though though we, we fail and we're inconsistent and none of us are proud of that. None of us are glad because we sinned a lot. We're, we're still living with the consequences, Lord, of our sin. But 
What a provision you have made for people as wicked as I. Give us the great peace and the great certainty of knowing that the demand has been met and the price has been paid and righteousness is not by law. Righteousness is by imputation. It is a righteousness given to me because of the excellent the excellencies of the beautiful Savior. And we pray, of course, in His name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.